Welcome to BOGSCAST, where faculty and staff at the BOGS Center on Developmental Disabilities explore best practice, showcase success stories, and help listeners envision possibilities for innovation through interviews with state and national experts. Part of Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School, the BOGS Center is New Jersey's University Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities and Leadership Education and Neurodevelopmental Disabilities Program. In this episode, we'll be discussing disability inclusion in public health programs, training, and leadership with Dr. Adrian K. Griffin. Dr. Griffin serves as the Senior Director of Public Health and Leadership at the Association of University Centers on Disability. In her role at AUCD, Dr. Griffin applies over 20 years of experience in developing programs in collaboration with partners, facilitating communities of practice, social marketing, health promotion, and health education. She's a doctor of public health with a focus in leadership from the University of Illinois at Chicago, a certified nonprofit executive director, and a master certified health education specialist. She serves on American Public Health Association's Disability Section Executive Committee, National Association of County and City Health Officials Disability Work Group, and the board of the Maryland Public Health Association. Thank you so much for being with us. Welcome, Dr. Griffin. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. So we recently had the fortune and the opportunity to host you and hear from you at our Bog Center Developmental Disability Lecture Series, where you address the importance of in including people with disabilities and in public health planning, building capacity of, of community partners to do so. Why is it so important to include people with disabilities in, in public health planning? Thanks, I appreciate that question. It's, it's important to serve the whole community with public health and knowing that one in four Americans has some kind of a disability, uh, really that's, that's the factor right there, knowing that there are people with disabilities in every community, everywhere across the country. That is why public health needs to make sure that there's disability perspective woven in from the very beginning to every effort across the whole spectrum of public health. And when we talk about serving the community, you know, we talk about serving um, everyone in, in that community. And certainly that includes uh, people with disabilities and, and intellectual and developmental disabilities included. Of course, uh, one important area of focus at the National Center on Disability and Public Health has been vaccine confidence efforts. What have been uh, some really critical considerations about messaging, uh, specifically around vaccines for people with disabilities? Yeah, it's been really very important to make sure that we're building out vaccine confidence and uh, sharing information in plain language, really getting at the heart of the messaging uh, breaking it down, making it as simple as possible. Um, I really like to remind people that public health is a blend of science, but it's also a communication art. Um, and it's so important when you're working with the general community and then also including people with disabilities in your outreach, that the information is plain language, that it is simple so people know what to do, just one, two, three, uh, make it as simple as possible. Uh, so with our vaccine confidence messaging, 
That's what we've really tried to do. Um, we also have made sure that we are including self-advocates every step of the way. So that goes from design, material creation, reviewing it, critiquing it, in you know, taking that feedback and making it better and then showcasing it back to people with disabilities to make sure we're on track. So all of those pieces, plain language, and then really testing it with people who have different types of communication needs, making sure that it's on track. That's so important. You, you talk about the blending of art and science and um, including advocates and testing and plain language messaging. And what are, what are some other important public health issues that impact people with disabilities that those, those principles of the, of the vaccine confidence protocol can really be applied to, to increase dialogue and discussion in, in the same way with the same success? Yeah, I would say that it's really critical to make sure that people with disabilities get the same access at the same time <laughs> as everyone else in the community, no matter how that individual might communicate. So we call that same time access to everyone or state, S-T-A-T-E, state, same time access to everyone for um, just an acronym to remember it. Um, so that as you're doing these um, campaigns, ask yourself, is this same time access to everyone? Um, and that is something that would be applicable across, you know, no matter what you're doing, a heart health clinic, a diabetes prevention program, you know, cancer screening, you name it. Is that campaign same time access to everyone? Are you using plain language materials? Are you including closed captions? Are you including ASL? Are you including those interpreters from the beginning? Not as an afterthought, not weeks and weeks later, but when you're launching the materials, are you having it available all at the same time to everybody in the community, no matter how that individual might communicate? So I would say those principles really transcend um, their lessons learned from the vaccine confidence work, but they really factor into any kind of outreach you're doing for public health. Yeah, certainly the same, same time access to, to everyone. Um, in addition to, to access and, and messaging, uh, what are some other lessons that have been learned uh, through this COVID-19 pandemic, particularly, of course, as it applies to, to people with disabilities? Yeah, one other big lesson has been to really be familiar with what is in your health record. That's, that really goes um, to the heart of uh, a challenge that COVID has highlighted, amplified, health records have always been an age-old problem, especially for uh, people with disabilities that see multiple different specialists, multiple care providers across multiple systems even. So really being aware of what is in your health record now is even more important and a huge lesson learned. So we've actually started um, an annual Own Your Health Record uh, awareness campaign just really to shine a light on the fact that, yes, there is an electronic health record. It's important to know what's in there so that it's there when you need it. So during an emergency or, hey, you need to go to a different provider who's in a different system and they want to access your records that are in the cloud, you want to know that it's accurate and that it really is depicting who you are in this moment, not maybe who you were two, three years ago, the last time it got updated. So we're encouraging everyone to look at their health record on an annual basis, at least. Um, and so we're also tying that in every fall with thinking about 
the um, timing of the flu shot. When you get your flu shot, make sure that that's in there and just give it a check and encourage people um, that are in your health provider community to make sure that what they're putting in is accurate as well. So it's all up to date. Yeah, that's excellent. It's so helpful to have really uh, tangible um, tools to 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 help people do some of these things. Um, uh, speaking of, you know, I want to shift focus now and, and talk about the framework uh, that you introduced, the model uh, for disability inclusion, a, a tool for building capacity, uh, the inclusion wheel, right? The inclusion wheel is, 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 is to serve people with disabilities by really including public health leaders. Can you, can you talk about uh, the inclusion wheel uh, for our listeners? Tell them a little bit about how it's used to support um, our partners in public health Sure. Yeah. So the inclusion wheel is a model that um, I had developed as part of my dissertation work, actually, looking at how the state of Ohio at the time was successful in including people with disabilities in their smoking cessation efforts and also really creating a very nice, wonderful systems change of embedding disability as a demographic in their smoking cessation outreach efforts. So I really wanted to find out what made that tick? How did that happen? Because I couldn't find it anywhere in any literature. Uh, so uh, the kind folks in Ohio let me study them for my dissertation. And then I was able to identify some key factors of readiness and seeing people with disabilities as a demographic within public health, um, recognizing that that is a specialty and knowledge of your um, your focus audience is critical to serving them. Uh, also recognizing that you know, when you have good relationships with partners, you're more likely to want to collaborate with them and partner up and just think about how you might complement each other's efforts and just test drive things and have that space to practice with each other. So I kind of call that practice space, that capacity building time. Um, and then you eventually over time, are able to build out some actual, um, you know, skill in including uh, people with disabilities and really demonstrate true capacity. So um, the group that I had studied in Ohio uh, really showcased this nicely and had wonderful engagement of everyone being able to lead from where they were so that they were all part of that planning or able to report up no matter if they were frontline director or um, you know, leadership. Um, it didn't matter where they sat, they were all able to contribute to the outcome um, and be looking for partners that prioritize that inclusion of people with disabilities in their work. So there was good alignment um, doing the work that everybody wanted to do and help each other get there faster. So I was able to look at Ohio and smoking cessation. Then fast forward to now, I've been able to replicate those same factors of readiness and capacity building and capacity and that leadership approach across health, other health promotion areas like diabetes prevention, um, teaching disability inclusion within health and, and public health, uh, looking at uh, other areas of mental health and wellness and the list goes on, but I've been able to look across several different types of health promotion areas and other different other states. Um, and it seems that there are these hallmarks of 
leadership, capacity building, the readiness, and actually then having the skills that have been similar across these different areas. So that's the inclusion we all, uh, is my attempt to document it, to help other partners uh, get there faster, uh, because this isn't, this isn't something that's taught in schools in any kind of consistent way. It's not a requirement right now when you get a, a public health degree, at least in the United States, there's not a requirement right now um, to learn about disability inclusion. And it's, it's my hope that the inclusion wheel gives current practitioners a little bit of a guidebook on how to do this and how to look for other partners that want to do this work too. And as you have said, you know, people with disabilities are, are everywhere um, and good public health practice means that we're being inclusive of the community uh, as a whole. And it sounds like with, you know, with your work in Ohio, that that community was really ready uh, to include people with disabilities in, in a real way, as we say, you know, not as, a, as an afterthought. Um, while you're applying the inclusion wheel to other communities and with, with other projects, are there benchmarks or even informal indicators to assess organizations for readiness or for change? Because even though we know, even when, when people want to include people with disabilities in their planning, they, they might not, not always be ready for those partnerships. They might not always be ready. Um, how can we assess for, for readiness while we're doing that capacity? building. Yeah, that's something that we're working on now through the National Center on Disability and Public Health. One uh, resource, we actually developed this in collaboration with our diabetes um, prevention program community of practice a couple of years ago. Um, one tool for getting ready um, is what we call our kickstart directory, and that's available under our getting started tools in the National Center uh, resources section. But really, this Kickstart directory gets you thinking about who are your allies, right? Who are the partners in the community that have a shared mission or vision? Where's that overlap? So you can really take a critical eye toward who else is doing this work or who else would care? Who else would care about this work? Um, and so that you could link up and approach those groups and then really work systematically to think through who are those allies, when can you approach them? Is there anything that they're doing that you could piggyback on or link up with? You know, is there a health fair or is there, you know, something that they're doing, community outreach um, that you could weave in your work to? The other piece that is in that um, Kickstart directory that I would also show, uh, show as a, a readiness uh, metric is developing relationships with leaders at different levels in the organization that you want to partner with because um, it does you no good if you have a really great relationship with let's say a manager and then that's one person and then oh you know that individual gets another job or moves to another project and then you got to start from scratch and rebuild that relationship with that group so what the kickstart directory prompts uh, the user to do is think about getting at least three different contacts at the organization. One at maybe um, a specialist level, mid-level, one at maybe a, a frontline worker level, and then one contact at a higher level of leadership so that no matter who comes and goes or who gets reassigned or who gets deployed to another project, you still have someone that knows you 
and sees the alignment of disability inclusion in that health promotion or that health education or that health, that uh, public health effort. So the Kickstart directory, I would say, is, is a good place to um, look for thinking about getting ready to do this work of disability inclusion. Yeah, that's so that's so important, you know, building connections and relationships between the disability community uh, and our public health partners is is really uh, in, instrumental. You include some of this in the, the prepare for all uh, initiative, which in, really helps uh, people, you know, give them the tools that they need. Can you talk a little bit about the prepare for all initiative? What's included? Um, the, the curriculum, the community of practice, what can people find if they um, look for some resources through the Prepared for All initiatives? Yeah, well, thank you for highlighting that. We uh, produced the Prepared for All initiative really in response to COVID, but we thought, let's not waste a good pandemic here. Let's Certainly. make sure that we <laughs> Certainly are not. Over the, yeah, that we're, that we're really educating the workforce and the, the disability community. So um, prepared for all, it's an initiative that really at the heart of it, it's about getting a seat at the emergency planning table, whether that seat at that planning table is organized through public health in your community, or whether it's organized through an emergency manager, uh, just knowing um, that people with disabilities need to be at that planning table. So it's really um, primarily focused to encourage disability organizations at a local level to reach out to emergency managers and public health planners and really be part of that planning from the beginning. Uh, however, I would say a strong secondary audience is public health practitioners themselves and emergency responders themselves to learn more about the things that they haven't been taught in their training, right? Mm -hmm. Disability inclusion, how do you how do you engage with someone who might communicate differently than you? And how do you get um, that point across in context of an emergency? So the Prepared for All initiative looks at three different things. One is uh, doing this outreach and training in a way that is really um, non-judgmental, really using principles of appreciative inquiry and motivational interviewing, because we know that emergency responders and public health practitioners haven't been taught about disability inclusion. So uh, we have done this training. It's a whole community training that's available online for free. Um, so we've done that training, but really taking it um, in a safe space, if you will, making sure that as people are going through it, they don't feel like we're we're waving our finger in their face, telling them everything they're not doing, but really encouraging them to take this moment to pivot and think about the whole community and in more specific ways. So that training is available online for free. The second thing that we do on a monthly basis is we offer town halls. And these town halls are virtual spaces for any partner working in this area of disability inclusion and emergency preparedness and response. Uh, right now, a lot of partners are working in this vaccine confidence and access space. So that's a monthly forum that we offer. Uh, we off and it's open for any partner that would like to come. And it's meant to be a live problem solving space. So again, no judgment if anyone has some issue that they would like to get some peer to peer feedback on, they have the floor. 
Um, we also use that space to showcase any kind of timely upcoming um, launch of materials that we're, we're developing so that, you know, people have access to what's the latest and the greatest. So town halls are, are, are monthly um, forums for that. And then the other area that we're cultivating through Prepared for All is our trainee program, our Prepared for All trainees. These trainees are really using these principles of, uh, you know, that are in the Prepared for All initiative around inclusive communication, really making sure that there is a disability perspective at that planning table. And so the trainees are taking the prepared for all message to local community partners. And what's exciting about that is that they're really able to tailor it and make it their own. Um, and so we have right now about 30 trainees across the country using this information and tailoring it more for communities at a local level, um, really trying to encourage uh, vaccine uptake and vaccine confidence in the disability community. So right now that's the prepared for all initiative overview. And it's, it's my hope that we can continue to grow it and tailor it, you know, depending on whatever, whatever the emergency of the day is. Yeah, it's, it's so uh, comprehensive and helpful. And the town hall component is such a valuable opportunity to uh, discuss the uh, implementation, right, and the application of the training and the way that the resources are, are being used. Um, one of the resources uh, that's developed through the Prepared for All initiative uh, that's been really helpful is the, the an elevator pitch, right, a, a brief outreach yes. script to engage potential partners to, um, to be ready to talk about some of these things. Why is it so important uh, to have that really short but impactful statement prepared um, in the event that we happen to find ourselves with an opportunity with some of our partners. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, you just need, you never know. You see, you need to be ready for when that moment happens. Um, and it's important to have your ask at the ready um, and have that um, just kind of on the tip of your tongue and be practiced and rehearsed. So that is what we had in mind with that resource when we um, included that in the Prepared for All initiative. We also know that, um, you know, with trying to find out, you know, where does emergency planning happen at my community level, you have to talk to a lot of people, right? You yeah. might not, it might not be housed where you expect it to be housed. Like it might be in your department of public health, or it might be in your department of emergency management, or if you're in a smaller, more rural area, it might be, you know, your, your city mayor. I mean, it's, it's really, it's really variable. And so uh, we wanted to have the participants in the prepared for all initiative prepared so that they would be able to uh, have that at the ready in any moment and just be able to have it kind of be conversational like oh hey do you know more about where this happens or how I could get involved what that would look like and know that I am a resource for you and make it so that there's um, it's a two-way street that there's not just you asking something, but you are also offering the lens of that disability perspective to be embedded in the emergency um, planning efforts. So um, the other piece too, with that elevator pitch that's so important is that people learn by repetition 
And in these days with so many different, you know, pieces of communication coming at us, uh, it's you just, you have to be ready, willing, and able to repeat that message a few times. Um, it normally takes a person about seven or eight times of hearing something before it sinks in and they really hear it. So that was another reason to, uh, for us to put together that elevator pitch is that, you know, you got to be ready at a moment's notice, but you also have to be ready to repeat it and be, be consistent with what you're saying. So the messages are short, impactful, uh, repetitive, and folks are prepared with them. And, and what do we want uh, our community and government professionals to take away from those interactions after they've heard this elevator pitch and they maybe they hear it from a person with a disability in their community who they maybe hadn't considered uh, their needs before? What do we really want people to take away from those interactions? Yeah, I, ideally it would be a few things. Um, it would be having uh, that disability perspective at that planning table, but it would also be having policies that are truly implemented around uh, a, a disability inclusive perspective at a whole community level. So not just, you know, um, for certain segments of the population, but for every community everywhere. Um, and then the other thing that I would say is that it's really critical for um, just thinking about the, the, the funding and that this is something that, you know, if you have a policymaker uh, that holds the purse strings, really making sure that we're getting key funding to make sure that messages are accessible all the time, no matter how that person might communicate and that there is always a whole community emergency response plan that has that disability perspective. And sometimes, you know, that takes, that takes funding to make sure that it actually gets implemented. So it's so helpful to give people with disabilities the tools and the resources to be empowered to, to start these conversations. Um, but as you mentioned, the public health workforce may not necessarily be um, skilled or prepared to really serve and meet the, the public health needs of, of people with disabilities. How can we prepare a more competent public health workforce? Yeah, so a, a few things um, are shifting toward more um, disability inclusion. Uh, we actually, through the National Center on Disability and Public Health a few years ago, published our uh, including people with disabilities, public health workforce competencies. Many of the um, lens across the country are starting to use that, but I feel like that's kind of very inside baseball. And what we want to do is ideally have schools and programs of public health, medical schools, allied health schools, weave in um, disability inclusion throughout curricula um, so that it's not seen as something else that you need to get to in the curricula, but it is part of the curricula. So I'm really very proud of some of the work that we were able to cultivate through one of our learning communities on disability inclusion and public health programs. Um, that group uh, identified a few key partners that were um, change makers, um, gatekeepers, if you will, for what, um, you know, what is taught in schools and programs of public health. Um, and so I am happy to say that um, very recently, the public health accreditation boards, um, that's the entity that certifies if you are a, a 
program, a, a, you know, a department of public health where you get that um, accreditation seal of approval. Now for their 22, their 2022 standards that are just about to come out, now there is a disability inclusion standard, whether you're a new department of public health or an existing department, um, there are some basic uh, inclusion principles around um, making sure that you're serving the whole community, which is this, this is the first time that they're doing that, um, but it's as a result of this learning community and advocacy over the course of uh, the last several years. So I'm happy to say that the tides are starting to turn, but there's a lot that still needs to be done. It's still not a standard if you go to um, undergrad or graduate school in um, public health in our country to learn about disability in any systematic way. So it's really important to continue to, to keep the momentum going around this and, and not, um, you know, not ease up off that gas pedal, keep talking about it, keep offering um, to continue to dialogue around it and offer the resources. And we know it's typical of a, a, a lot of our uh, professional disciplines that there aren't um, necessarily standards that are inclusive of people with disabilities, but it's it's good to know that there is some some traction there and that the public health uh, competencies are, are definitely a good place for organizations and curriculums to start if they're if they're looking for um, some competency standards. Um, certainly that's good news. Yeah, some some progress there. Thank you so much for, for this discussion, but as we wrap up and, and as we conclude our conversation, um, reflecting on our discussion, are, are there any questions that we didn't ask you or some, anything that you would, you would like for, for people to know as we, as we wrap up our discussion today? I would just highlight for your listeners that um, we also have our friends and family campaign to keep going with the vaccine confidence outreach and you know keep saying positive with your ongoing conversations with your friends and family. Uh, we're launching it now as uh, the younger children are now eligible for vaccinations and uh, we're getting into the the holiday time of the year, the fall and the winter months are upon us. So I would encourage your listeners to look at that set of resources, really to just stay positive and keep going um, and, and be encouraged to continue those conversations. Because everything you say does make a difference. Even if the person you're talking to <laughs> lets you know it's not their cup of tea at the moment, um, it's really important to you know, continue to stay positive um, and keep going because you never know, you might be that seventh or eighth time that that person has heard it and now they are ready. Now they're ready to take that step of going and getting their vaccination. So friends and family campaign, that's part of our vaccine confidence efforts that are offered under our Prepared for All initiative. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for highlighting those efforts. Thank you for the work you do. And, and thank you for your time and your discussion with us uh, today, Dr. Griffin. Thank you. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Boxcast, a podcast by the Box Center on Developmental Disabilities. A full transcript of this episode can be found at theboxcenter.podbean.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite streaming service to stay up to date with the newest episodes. To learn more about the Box Center, visit our website at rwjms.com rutgers.edu backslash bog center and follow us on facebook at the bog center on developmental disabilities 
all one word, no spaces, the Bog Center on Developmental Disabilities.